0: Welcome to Akasha Talks, a podcast on consciousness, healing, and different ways to interact and weave those together, both old and new, to be able to get the most out of your life. I'm your host, Lance Baker, coming to you from Newcastle, Australia. Hope you kick back, relax, and enjoy the show. Well. It's now been a year. Welcome to the anniversary episode, One Year of Akasha Talks. This has not been anywhere near as regular as I originally planned. Thanks to those who stuck through and listened and enjoyed. Recording this podcast has been a hell of a lot more work than I first expected. 2020 has been a hell of a lot more work than I first expected. And I've had a few nice surprises and changes in my life along the way with the birth of a new child, change of the way I operate my business to fit with this new COVID world. Lots of different things that have sadly made this podcast a little bit lower priority in the short term. But if you enjoy this show, never mind. I am still dedicated to continually doing this, as you would have noticed, a little bit less frequently. My mental health and my family life and servicing my clients in my clinic and my students, those do have to come first before I get to enjoy sharing fun conversations with the guests that I have on here for you guys to listen to. Plenty more great guests planned up in the future. Plenty more great solo episodes planned. Because this is the anniversary episode, I wanted to do something personal. I wanted to do something that had some sort of link to what brought me here. Uh, This day, the 5th of August, as I talked about in the first episode, was the day that was hell for me. It was always the day that I dreaded in an anti-celebration of an anniversary I hated. The anniversary of the pain because I'd had that operation that gave me that migraine that destroyed my life for so long on August 5th. This podcast started specifically on this day to reclaim it so it had a new anniversary positive anniversary and that has been my focus this year and it's been great to have that different thing and just like last year i ran a reiki class on this day because this is the day i celebrate as my new possibilities day this is the day that the universe really shook me up to get my attention to kick my ass into being who i am today to being a healer to being somebody of service to help other people to teach to share and to give the gifts that have made such a difference in my life it's my fault I didn't look at it sooner <laughs> I wish I'd stepped into that sooner so it wouldn't have been such a hard day for so long but without that I don't think I'd be as effective as I am and as understanding of chronic pain as knowing how desperate you need to get to try something strange sometimes. And definitely not as appreciative as I am of what I have in my life right now. So, I've cut out a little bit of today's class, uh, the history of Reiki. It's the easiest thing to translate to add to the free little Reiki class I did at the beginning of COVID to hopefully get somebody else out there interested in trying out some Reiki, or other energy healing, and to open up to some new possibilities of what you could get in your life. With Reiki, uh, what it is, it's, it's a thing that comes from Japan. It's often referred to as an ancient healing art by a lot of people. It's Rubbish, uh, it's not ancient. It, mm-hmm. but it started in 1922, so it's not even 100 years old. So, not ancient, old, but not ancient. I've got a living family member older than Reiki, so (laughs) it's not not all that old. Its name is two different kanji characters, Rei and Ki. And if you understand Japanese, you'd understand the word a little bit better. I'm guessing you guys can't read kanji characters, so that means nothing to you. Reiki is just a buzzword you've heard. Uh, Rei means universal, and Ki means life force. So Ki you've probably heard of from other cultures, like in China they call it Qi, which is what they use in acupuncture. In India, they call it prana, which is what you'll hear of when you do a yoga class. I've, I've done some research, I found 30 something different names for it over different cultures, and about a third of them actually linked with breath, but it's about the invisible ether, the energy and spirit that's around us that you can breathe in and work with. And so Reiki, it's, it's a healing art where you don't use your own energy to heal somebody, You're bringing in this universal healing energy and giving that out. The history part of it, where Reiki comes from, there's a book called Mikayusui. The main place I got the history from is a place called reiki.org, which is footnoted and says where everything comes from. If you start reading Reiki books, you're gonna hear different stories of different authors. And they vary quite a lot for something that's less than 100 years old. And I'll get to why as I go through, and without those liberties different people have taken over time, it probably wouldn't have got to where it is here today uh, if it wasn't for that. So I, I understand where that comes from now, but we're in a time where we, we deserve to have the real story rather than a whitewashed story to help it be accepted by people. So Macau Yusui is the guy who started it in 1922. Now, the term Reiki was not his. He did not come up with Reiki as he's associated with in most stories. There was a book published in 1919 uh, called Reiki uh, Riho by this, this other guy. I forget his name. Um, don't know. It starts with the name. I forget it. And that guy had been working with this Reiki practice in his own clinic for about four years, and there was three other guys that did things where they used the term Reiki, uh, that were all within 10 years before 1922. So Reiki is not his, but he created a thing called Yusui Reiki Riho, which was, he put his first name before it. He was pretty much saying, well, this is my kind of Reiki. And that's what spread throughout the West. Uh, so there are different forms of Reiki and Yusui's Reiki is, is his own blend now lots of the stories say that he was a doctor that he was a christian minister and different things like this he was not a doctor he did study medicine based things but he was not a doctor he was not a christian he come from a buddhist philosophy religion does not matter with reiki i've trained people that are atheists muslim christian Buddhist, all sorts of things, and they can all do it just as well as one another. It makes makes no difference your Beliefs with spirit. So, Makau Yasui, he had had that Buddhist upbringing and been introduced to meditation and different healing things. He worked with a thing called Kiko Healing, which is where you essentially do Qigong to build your energy up. You heal somebody and deplete your energy and take on their stuff do a lot of Qigong and self-healing to clear that out, and Qigong again to build your energy back up, and then you can go heal again. Long, painstaking process that's not so great. Uh, He he had a diverse career and life doing different things. Uh, At one stage, he was working for the Japanese Minister of Health, so he developed some pretty good connections within the health industry that guy ended up becoming mayor of tokyo so he got he was connected with some good people and, and was able to have a reasonable business life on his own afterwards but he went through his midlife crisis and he was doing a spiritual journey and he was trying to find different things he traveled china and europe to look for psychic arts psychology healing and just different interests that he he had uh, In some of the stories it says he went to America and that's where he became a Christian minister and all the rest. There's no proof that he ever went to America. He was exposed to a lot of different things. Uh, Within that, I'm pretty certain he would have been exposed to mesmerism, which is the precursor to to hypnosis, because that was massive in Europe around that sort of time that he would have traveled there. And he was an avid reader. He he was looking into healing-based things. He would have been exposed to that. He would have been exposed to the Meridian system through the Chinese medicine he would have looked at. He would have had a lot of different things that he was exposed to in in healing arts, along with the Kiko healing that he did. But he had this midlife crisis. His life was was going terrible, and there's different stories of why he went to to go on this retreat, but he went on a healing retreat at Mount Kuramara to sit under a waterfall and meditate and fast. There's different stories of why he went, of whether he went to find Reiki, because he wanted to find a healing art that was just universal, or if he went to suicide because his life was terrible and a lot of people went there to pass, or if he went there to achieve what's called um, Shin Nitsume, which is where you find enlightenment, but to do that you have to be prepared that your life might end along the way to get there. and with that process, it's all about connecting in to, to your higher will and what your life's purpose is and getting in that effortless flow of seeing what can happen. So hand up went away, whatever, whatever reason it was, he went to the mountain to do this thing. For some stories, it is that he went for 21 days and that's what it was. For other stories, it just, he went for an indefinite time to see and it happened on the 21st day, I don't know, I know Japanese. Storytelling loves the power of three, and that's three weeks. So I'm not sure of the exact time, but we'll stick with a framework of what the story usually is 21 days. It's where it happened. And you're sitting under this waterfall, where the water falling on the top of your head supposedly opens your crown chakra to give you insight and connection to the universe and ideas and it to make your meditation more powerful i can attest to it i went to the blue mountains to go do a meditation under a waterfall my timing was terrible Uh, the waterfall was dried up it was just like drip drip (laughs) drip it did nothing for me (laughs) but my greatest thinking time is when i have a five minute meditation in the morning i always make at least space for that where i sit down at the bottom of the shower and i let that that water pressure fall on top of my head and uh, sometimes it's just to, to be still, but other times I get great clarity of ideas of, of what I need to do that day. Within that, sometimes it spreads out for a lot longer than five minutes, and my water bill's higher, <laughs> unless there's a water restriction. But he did this, and he was feeling really fatigued, down, flat, drained, as you do when you fast and don't talk to anybody and sit in meditation all day, every day for a long time, and. He passed out under this waterfall, and when he awoke, he was filled with a lot of energy. This energy was buzzing through him, and he felt vibrant, full of life, and excited. And he ran to, to go break his silence and, and talk with the the person who was running the retreat. He tripped over, hurt his toe. His instant thing was to put his hands on it, and probably scream whatever version of RF. Uh, It is in local Japanese tongue. And he noticed his hands buzzed a lot more when he did it and the pain went away. And he realized, oh, I don't just have this buzz of a feeling of energy and relief. I've also got this healing ability that I didn't have to do anything to make that happen. It just happened automatically. I didn't need to think about healing it. I just grabbed my toe. And uh, he went, I presume, he talked about that with with this guy. And he he left the healing retreat, and on the journey home, there's different accounts to this story as well, but they generally always include three stories of him healing himself, him healing a, a beggar, and him healing an animal. I dare say, with this new healing thing, he was beaming at everything. He passed every tree, every plant, every animal, any person, anything. But one of the main key ingredients to the story usually is he tripped over and he broke his ankle and he healed it and was able to walk her. Now, sounds great, I don't wanna take the the mysticism out of that or the power out of that, but I personally haven't been to Japan, but I've never heard of a functional MRI machine or an X-ray in the forest in Japan that just operates on its own that you could, you could use in 1922. I don't think he he broke his ankle. I think he sprained it. And it was a case of I caught a fish this big. But maybe he did break it. But I have worked on people with broken bones. And it has not fused the bone back together perfectly. And had them be fine. I have worked on somebody that had a shattered hip. And she stood up and she walked out of the room with a dance and a step. And carried her crutches. Her hip was still shattered. So if you work with somebody with broken bones. Don't go back to that story of your suey and give yourself a Jesus complex and tell yourself that you can heal bones, tell that person you still need to act as though that bone is broken until you've had a scan that says otherwise, even if you feel you can walk, jump, do cartwheels, whatever, don't. Do the best you can to live as though that injury is there and just enjoy that you feel good Uh, because you will get outcomes like that but they're not gonna be as miraculous as it looks or seems and that's where you'll get yourself into trouble. So, a little bit of a precursor there in his story. <laughs> but regardless, he went home. And he opened up a little clinic and started doing healings. And then there was, there was a, an earthquake, and tsunami in Tokyo. And he went out and he was gifting healings to people left, right and center that were going through all sorts of traumatic things within their, their body and their mind and their anxiety and things like that. And he developed a really good name for himself. Uh, A lot of people really benefited from his help and wanted to see him again later on and talked about him and to his business group. So he closed his little clinic up. Uh, He moved closer into the city, no, further out from the city and had a bigger place, a much bigger place to to work from and train people within the Reiki art. He trained over 2,000 people how to do Reiki. Don't remember the number of how many people he trained to the equivalent of master level, but trained quite a few people and his practice was quite big. I've seen a photo of of him with probably about 40, 50 people out the front that were all students of his that were working from this clinic during it. He actually didn't last that much longer after setting that all up and running it and training all these people. That was in quite a short time. Before he passed away and died, he had a a sudden stroke and on, on a journey to teach healing somewhere. One of the masters that he had trained Chirio Hayashi was the main person who who took over from him who he'd encouraged to go out and and start his own clinic up and do things and Chirio Hayashi did that and he was an ex-naval officer and he was a medic in that and so Yusui told him use what you've got the other things and, and blend it and make it yours change it uh and he you see we always had this belief that there's always gonna be better people than me at this and it's, it's always going to evolve. Uh, lots of Reiki associations don't add that bit of the story in. They have it in a little box as we'll get to as we go through. So he, he did his thing and he ran, ran his thing and, and it was, was going quite well. And where the story changes of how we get to enjoy being able to do this here in Australia is in hawaii in hawaii there was a lady that was her parents had been japanese immigrants to hawaii she was born there and they named her after the land her name was hawaii takata she'd worked on a plantation she was widowed, quite young early 30s her husband who owned the plantation died and her workload was intense of running this plantation, working on it, doing the bookwork, and all this other sort of stuff. She had all sorts of physical problems and anxieties through the roof. Her sister was also living there as well, and her sister passed away. And her parents had moved back to Japan and resettled back there. So it was her duty to go back to Japan and inform her family and mourn with them. And she decided she was gonna use that time to go to the hospital, some operations done, and have that family support to help out with the kids and, and heal in that environment before going home. So she went to Japan, she went to the hospital, had all of her tests done, and they told her all the different things they needed to do to her. And on her journey home, she decided to stop by Chiro Hayashi's clinic, and see what happens. And she went there, and they laid her down on, on a thing like a massage table, but, but not on a bed-based thing to scan over and feel what is going on. And so it's called bison scanning, which we'll get to today. And this bison scanning, they can feel what was wrong in her body and mind, and they could they have her pretty much a diagnosis, the same sort of thing. Now, I don't want you to diagnose people, but you can feel for different things and work on it to, to give them healing. But she had them tell her all the same things, as what the hospital said. And they said, if you come here every day for a couple of months, there's a good chance most of that will, will be healed. And she thought, well, that's way better than going to the hospital and getting cut open and do all different things, which definitely isn't going to help with the anxiety. So she did it. She went there every day and, and got healing. And she learnt up to the equivalent of, of what's Reiki 2 these days while she was there. And And she was healed. She felt great by the time she went back to Japan. She was a little bit of a a disbeliever in what was going on. She thought there was some sort of trick all the time. Uh, She accounted of one story where she grabbed one of the practitioner's arms. He was wearing a kimono with the big long sleeves and she ripped up the sleeve thinking he had some sort of heater or something under his sleeve that was blowing heat onto her because of how she could feel that through his hands and uh, he had to explain Reiki a little bit better to her at that point. But she went home. She opened up a little Reiki clinic and started practicing straight away. And it wasn't very long at all before she was back to Japan to convince Hayashi to come with her to bring Reiki to the West and to start teaching it in Hawaii and and to spread it further. And he did. He joined her and he, he trained her the rest of the way to master and they started teaching it there. And they changed a few little things and a lot more got changed after he passed. But Cherihashi, he, he got called in to serve for World War II to, to go back for the Navy, and they knew that he had spent time in Hawaii, and they wanted to know different things about where different bases were and stuff there, and for him to, to, to spill stories of what they were gonna use in the war. Uh, that didn't fit with his ethics, and he didn't want to do that. And because he said no to his government, he was dishonored, and he didn't want that dishonor to go to his family, so he he committed suicide. He did the ritual seppuku, where they have the samurai sword and cut through themselves to to pass in a way that would be perceived as honorable, instead of um, causing people's death, essentially. And he did that. All the people that were learning Reiki and practicing Reiki in Japan, they all stopped after the war. Uh, With the way the American government treated Japan afterwards, they made anybody who was doing any healing art have to be licensed in some way or another. And for most people practicing Reiki, whether it was Yasui's Reiki or the other ones that were around, that didn't fit with them spiritually to, to sign off on something on their with their conquerors uh, for something that was spiritual and true to themselves. So they decided just not to practice it publicly, go inside and just have it between them, their family, and, and keep it underground. And that's what they did. Pretty much everybody that knows Reiki in Japan, they learnt Reiki from an American, not from a, a local. There's no one practicing Reiki in Japan after the war. They're all trying to keep their appearances up to, to fit in with the new culture. So over in Hawaii, Hawaii Takata's left, and she says, I'm the only Reiki master. She's, she's the lineage bearer of it, and so she starts making her own liberties and changing different stories, and this is why the books have different stories in it. And if she didn't do this, it wouldn't have spread to the West because, as you can imagine, right after World War II, US mainland and Hawaii, they're not gonna be super excited about a Japanese healing art. So she whitewashed it. That's where she brought in the stories that Yusuri was a doctor, so it was was more fitting. She brought in stories about him being a Christian minister and spending time in America and all this different stuff just to let him be accepted with it. And there's photos of her clinic where it was painted up as a Reiki Healing Clinic and then afterwards it's painted over, it just says spiritual healing. So she was doing what she could to help it be adapted for the time and setting. And if she didn't do that. It wouldn't have spread, so I get why. But part of the changes uh, that she made, one of them was was using tables that Hayashi had put in. Uh, Misui just used to use chairs. But the main reason for the tables was the bison scanning, to be able to scan better and have more practitioners at once on somebody. Hawaii Takata didn't like the bison scanning for some reason so she skipped that out and a lot of it would have been because Hawaii's a big place and she's going from spot to spot healing different people all the time, she can't get out to all the different areas all the time, she wanted to get the families doing the healing instead so she'd teach people Reiki and she'd come up with a paint by number system of how to put your hands here, 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 here and here and Uncle Jimmy will get better. And she started teaching it that way and she liked that she had this structure and she was trying to speed up the process that Reiki got taught. Reiki one, you see we did that in four different levels. Uh, Reiki two was two levels, Reiki master was three levels. He had he had it all spread out and it was was a lot of one-on-one mentoring with people to get there. But well, she wanted to have it in a workshop room and she broke it down to, to key ingredients and that's the way she started to deliver it. And a lot of people got stuck in their hand position things. And the main reason she did that was for people who just wanted to heal their uncle and didn't want to do anything spiritual or think about a higher power. They just wanted Uncle Jimmy to get better. So she got stuck in that framework over a start and she called it the, the initial session anyway. But the bison scanning is meant to be scanned scan to work out what hand position sort of thing you're meant to use. All the associations, at least in Australia, they're started by people who they call themselves traditional Yusui Reiki schools. They're actually traditional Takata schools. So they don't follow the bison scanning as much and they go with the hand positions. So I'm gonna teach you the hand positions, but that's not where I um, I don't use them. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I I do intuitive-based things, and what I'm going to be teaching you today is going to be intuitive-based things. And i just like you to be aware of what it is. Now, Hawaii Takata, she had, she had a big money thing that she put over it. I don't know whether that was greed or if she was just trying to put more importance over what she did. I'm not going to put a judgment on it. She lived until August 1980, so she's been dead 40 years now and she only taught the reiki master level in the last 10 years of her life and with that she charged 10 grand us for for reiki master so that's that's quite a lot of money these days i have seen an ad of her reiki one class that was i think it was 285 us and that was pre 1970 so that still was quite expensive, but she made this rule with everybody she trained. She trained 22 Reiki masters that they had to keep that price there to do it. She also had a strange uh, thing of where I think it might have been a greed-based thing. She set a rule that you could only train with one Reiki master. Now, when she's told the world she's the only Reiki master, uh, that says she was either fearful that her students would be, that she taught to master level would be her competition and. take from her I don't know uh, but I want to let you know you can train with more than one Reiki master I've trained with at least half a dozen it's good to get different people's experiences because you get different things Hawaii Takata also made a thing up that there was to be no workbooks you could take no notes in her class took notes in a class she took them off you scrunched them up and put them in the bin with the Reiki symbols, some people had accounts that they would drawn those down, and she sat there and made them eat the piece of paper that was on it. She was, she was a tough woman. They they've since found the the original Gakai, the family that, and traditions that followed from Yusui. They found his original workbooks that he gave his students. So he was full on all for giving people things in writing. Don't need to worry about that. It's not an oral tradition. That's just. she tried to put in place part of that could have been she was worried about something of the japanese history coming through and coming back at her in that post-war world i don't know the story changed by people actually starting to to write and and getting it out there the first person i know of that wrote a reiki book was actually an australian he was in uh Buran bay uh, and he got letters of death threats for that so healers attacked him about it which i found strange first lady in America that that wrote a book and she actually put the symbols in there as well. It wasn't just text. She got heaps of them and they, they actioned it. She had, she had people on her doorstep causing trouble. So not everybody that does healing is really a healer. Keep that in mind just because you do this doesn't make you perfect. You've got to actually follow some precepts to, to keep your ego and your ethics in line, don't think, because you've started doing Reiki and you're doing your healing art, that means you're perfect. Uh, There's there's always levels of healing, no matter who you are. But once people started writing books and changing the price, because they had people they were giving healings to who could have benefited from doing self-healing or to heal other people, they thought, well, they can't afford it, I'll make it cheaper. And it started to spread. Once the price come down and things could be written, it spread like wildfire it's reiki's practiced in pretty much every country of the world and that brings it to here today uh, but now we can we're not fearful of japan like everybody was post world war ii we can understand that it is japanese uh, you can you can read different things you can look at different things but that's the history of, of what brings it here today so now that you know where the history of reiki has been I'd love for you to join me in the future of where Reiki can go. Go to my website, branchesofhealing.com.au slash attunement, and you can have a free attunement to connect to Reiki yourself if you're in the Newcastle area or anywhere reasonably close to me and want to travel. Come and do one of the classes. I put the basic Reiki 1 class on every month to make sure this opportunity is open to other people every year on august 5th i'm going to have a reiki class there are options out there don't feel you need to come to me if you're not around here find somebody local that you can go to and try it out do something explore it see what it's like maybe it could open a similar door for you The other thing i'd love you to do is check out the classes that are on my site. Sometimes there's ones online. I ran a Reiki 2 online before, and I've got a couple of interesting hypnosis classes coming up shortly online. Check them out. And as always, if you're curious about experiencing Reiki or hypnosis in person or at a distance, shoot me an email. Send me a text find me on Facebook, whatever, reach out and let's organise something, see what I can do to help create a unique opportunity in your life for healing, to open up to something special. Now once again I'd love to thank you all that have joined me on this journey so far over the past year it's been a joy to talk to all the different people that I've had, I've loved having different conversations and chats with some of you listeners that have blessed me by reaching out and sharing your experiences. And I've built some great friendships from this. So thank you for those that have done that in the past. If you've been listening this whole time and haven't yet, please still do that now. It's never too late. If there's a certain kind of interview you would like to hear, a certain guest that I really must have on, again, Shoot me a message. Let's see if I could make that happen. Thank you. I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and perhaps learned something new. If you did, I'd love for you to subscribe or drop a review on whatever favorite podcast you have. Or if you've been enjoying the video versions on YouTube or Facebook, do it there. If something really did click home for you with this episode, perhaps it could benefit one of your friends or family. If so, it'd really help if you shared this on your social medias. Until next time, you've been listening to Akasha Talks with Lance Baker.